was um, homeless in downtown Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I've slept on the steam grates. I've slept in bus stations. I slept on buses. I slept in the emergency rooms during the winter. Mm. And um, my last night on the street, I actually spent in a porta potty. There was no big money behind stopping the cracking epidemic. That was the war on drugs, mm-hmm. which made the government look good. But there was really no big push to stop the drugs from coming into our neighborhoods. We lost a whole generation. How does that make you feel? Angry. Hello, my name is Matt Deemer, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. Do us a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to M-D-I-E-M-E-R at Kydem.com. That's M-Demer at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. And here are this week's news updates. Today, Tuesday, September 12th, we have some Democratic Club meetings coming up. At 6 p.m., Cleveland Ward 5 is meeting. And at 7 p.m., the Tri-City Democratic Club is meeting. And the Tri-City Democratic Club includes Warrensville Heights, North Randall, and Highland Hills. On Wednesday, at 6 p.m., Cleveland Ward 8 Bratton Hall is meeting. At 6.30 p.m., Cleveland Ward 4 is meeting. 7 p.m., Lindhurst Democratic Club is meeting. And also at 7 p.m., Shaker Heights is meeting. On Thursday, September 14th, we have at 6.30, Ward 17 and Ward 11. At 7 p.m., Cleveland Heights Democrats are meeting, as well as Solon Democratic Club. And at 7.15, we also have North Olmsted Democratic Club. On Friday, September 15th, join us with a fundraiser in support of Senator Sherrod Brown's 2024 re-election. For more information, you can reach out to K-E-L-E-N at SheridBrown.com or call 614-506-9978. All of this information and more can be found at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. That's Kydem.com. And finally, on Sunday, September 17th at 3 p.m., Richmond Heights Democratic Club is meeting. And just one more thing. Tuesday, November 7th, is our 2023 election day. And there's a lot of local races that are happening right now. A lot of local candidates are out there knocking doors, pounding the pavement, and advocating for their cities, their school boards, and their communities. So please, no matter where you are, find a local candidate, find a local election, and donate. A little bit of money goes a long way in a local election. And if you can't donate, do me a favor, reach out to their campaigns, help them send out mailers, make some phone calls, text message, or even knock doors. Again, a little bit goes a long way in local elections. Now, without further ado, please join me in talking about addiction, homelessness, recovery, and advocacy with my guest, Angelo Anderson. Enjoy. Angelo, thank you for coming in today uh, down to the Democratic Party headquarters to uh, talk to us today about your story, about different contemporary issues over here in Cuyahoga County and around the world. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Do us a quick favor and just briefly introduce yourself to everybody. My name is Angelo Anderson. I'm a Cleveland native. Um, I'm here to talk about some of my life experiences and um, growing up here in Cleveland, some of the things I do now to try to help improve my neighborhood and the city overall. So where did you grow up? I grew up in the Huff area. Um, I was a young kid when we had the Huff riots. I snuck out the house to participate, not realizing what I was doing. 
So, yeah, I, the, what year were the riots? I, you know, I was young. I don't know, 60-something. 60 60-something? 60 and, yeah. and what were they about? I think it was about being tired of being stepped on. Hmm. Um, they, they were, they were a lot of apartments, but not a lot of jobs for mm-hmm. people who lived in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And I remember that all the men in the building where I lived would have to go in the basement and hide when the welfare inspector came out. <laughs> you know, so all the men, because they weren't working, there were no jobs. They, okay. would, they would hide in the basement and lock the door until the welfare people left. And you couldn't have a TV. You couldn't have uh, certain things in the apartment. So they t- took those downstairs with them. So just requirements to get government assistance. Just requirement to get the government assistance. And how assistance. old were you at that time? Six, maybe. Six, six or so? During that time, yeah. And so I, I read on your website that you went out to participate in the riots with your wagon. Yeah. I had a little red wagon. I used to carry groceries back and forth and pop bottles that I would hustle in the neighborhood. Okay. You know, and... um one of the guys grabbed my wagon and put some stuff in it, and I never saw my wagon again. But I couldn't tell my mom what happened to my wagon because I wasn't supposed to have my butt out there no way. <laughs> so, I had to bite that one. <laughs> so you grew up in Huff, and and then and then after your wagon got stolen and you were moving forward in a couple of years, uh, w- tell us about that journey. Where where where'd you go? You know, into your teens and into in my, your... in my teens, I I was a swimmer. Okay, I wanted to be the um, first black swimmer on the United States uh, Olympic team. Hmm. And I made qualifying time to go to, to go and try to get on the team. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was hard. I drank a lot of water. <laughs> but uh, they boycotted that year. And we and we didn't participate in the Olympics. So I didn't I didn't get a chance. And, to and why did they boycott that year? It was something to do I don't know. Was it Vietnam or you no, know, that was er, er, later. Yeah, it was later. Okay. Yeah, it was like seventy four. Okay, okay. But um, that's what I wanted to do. Um, meanwhile, I was continuing to do what I needed to do to um, try to help the family and put a couple dollars in my pocket. I always had a paper route, you know, stuff that everybody else was doing. I suppose. Uh, so the Calling Post, Cleveland Press, and the Plain Dealer. Hmm. I had a route for all three papers hmm. and um went to east high i graduated from east high and um i think it was pretty good i got exposed to a lot mm-hmm. um a whole lot growing up most of the neighborhoods especially when i was really young were black and white mm-hmm. it wasn't all black in the neighborhood until after the riots mm. that's when the neighborhoods really changed and while we saw some good come out of it we also saw continued stagnation where it took it, it, it would take years for neighborhoods to recover. You said you were helping out your family. Tell us a little about your family. I have um, six sisters, two brothers, and... Um, Ooh, a big yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of us. And um, all of us are doing good, you know. I love them all, and um, so if I knock on wood, the only knucklehead in the bunch was me. So. Okay, okay. You said that you're the only knucklehead in the bunch. Why do you say that? Because I, I got in trouble, you know, and um, 
I'm the only one that ever went to jail. I'm the only one that was uh, addicted during the crack um, ep- epidemic, mm-hmm. you know. But I also was the only one to take a chance growing up to do certain things outside of the neighborhood. How so? Um, I went to Rochester for two weeks doing when I was in high school just to experience it, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I got into photography because of that because that's where Kodak is. Okay. And um, so we got to play around in the, in the lab and stuff. I loved it. Um, I got um, because of my swimming, I was exposed to the different neighborhoods of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, believe it or not, during that time, some of those neighborhoods were a no-fly zone for black people. Mm. Um, the first time I had pizza was after a swim meet because they didn't have pizzerias in my neighborhood. Hmm. I never knew what a pizza was. And hmm. i I never forget it, this young man named DeManjo or something. He had an Italian name. He said, you want to come for pizza? Because I beat him in the meat. Mm-hmm. He beat me twice. I said, you ain't beat me a third time. Okay. <laughs> and he said, my dad said, if you won, to bring you over for pizza. I said, okay. He said, all right, come on. It was in Little Italy. Okay. And his father's name was Angelo. And his father said, how do you get an Italian name? <laughs> <laughs> but it was great experience, you know. And um, growing up, and being exposed to those things, I think, gave me um, a willingness to be open-minded. And um, my um, issues that developed during my lifetime gave me empathy and inside understanding on what some of the people that I work with now are going through. Tell us about your, your addiction. What? How did you go from having an inspiration or being inspired to go to the Olympics as a swimmer and then getting tied into the, to the, the crack epi- epidemic? Well, I was a screen printer okay. for a number of years, and the industry was getting um, automated. And the company I worked for, we couldn't, they couldn't afford to, to keep up because that time uh, one machine might cost you a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. It was something crazy like that. And so they went under, and then I couldn't find a job. I got depressed. Um, my wife and son went their separate ways, and then um, I found myself addicted. Hmm. You know, I got, hey, that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and what about the journey like during that time? Like, what, it what took it- me eight and a half years to get back on my feet. I was I was um, homeless in downtown Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I've slept on the steam grates. I've slept in bus stations. I slept on buses. I slept in the emergency rooms during the winter. Hmm. And um, anywhere else I could find to sleep. My last night on the street, I actually spent in a porta potty. Hmm. Where it probably saved my life because it was in January. It was very, very cold. It was right after the holidays. I had no more money. I couldn't con- continue to stay in the crack house because I wasn't spending money. Hmm. And. Um, I went downtown. They didn't have any shelters like we have now. And I was saying, oh, I go get on a steam grate. All the steam grates have bodies on them. I decided I'd go over to try the building on 75 Public Square. Uh, the loading docks there have a space up under the bottom, okay? And the pu- trucks pull up, 
and the space is high enough so that it hits their bumper. Mm. There's a crawl space under there, and, and we would sleep under there because it's nice and warm, but there was no room. So I walked from there over to the convention center, the old convention center, and they used and to And this have, was all just trying to find a, a uh, trying, to, trying to find a warm spot so I wouldn't, you know. I go over there, and they had these vents like this table here with a with grate on top. You could see down into the convention center, and the heat would rise up. No room. No spots. No spots. Huh. So I walked from there to 13th. And there's just people all over them. All over them. And I walked from there to 13th, and I saw a porta potty where they were doing some construction. And I got in the porta potty, and I closed up all the, the holes with the newspaper I had because that's what we used to insulate the ground. Mm. And I stayed in this thing, and I realized that I didn't have to be there. Mm. I mean, I was making enough money to smoke every day, which meant I was making enough money to not be homeless. Hmm. So that was my last night spent on the street. I still had to break my addiction, though, and it took a little while longer to do that. Mm-hmm. I'd done that. I used to go out to a hotel way out on Detroit, and the last bus coming back into the downtown Cleveland left from out there at 745. So every night that I didn't get back on the bus and come back into downtown, I had a night clean. Hmm. It took me about a year and a half to get strong enough to come back and get my own place and feel comfortable with it. Now, I still had some issues. I had issues with money in my pocket. I had issues with uh, how I, I continued to dress. You know, I continued to wear layers mm-hmm. because it was a learned right. um, survival, you know, thing. Right. And so I had to break those addictions. Right. I had to break the addiction of going and hustling because I had a little job, but I still would go and hustle and get three or four, five hundred. Then I'd be scared to go home where I lived because there were a lot of dope issues around there. And I had money in my pocket. So a friend of mine, I would crash at her house. You know, years later, I told her the part she played in helping me to, you know, maintain my sobriety and get stronger in, in that. Hmm. You know, she said, I never knew. I said, I never told you. <laughs> so, hmm. so. Tell me about what it's like to live on the streets, being homeless in Cleveland. The, just like that little insight that you just mentioned was something I don't think a lot of people think about is trying to find shelter in the wintertime and doing whatever you can to find that warm spot. And if spots are not there, you have to keep searching or you have to stay awake or you'll probably die because yeah. of, the, of the cold. Um, now things have gotten so much better, thousand percent better. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at 2100 Lakeside, Luther Metropolitan Ministries Men's Shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, I work now in the capacity to help those men find housing. Um, before, we d- we didn't have that facility. Um, we had a couple of spots that were finally opened by the city and the county to address homelessness when they started addressing homelessness. But those spots were not re- very good. Uh, one of them was on Davenport, and it had two. The bathroom had two sinks and two stalls, and 75 men. <laughs> okay. The toilets were always stopped up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I may have slept there three times in the whole existence of me being homeless. 
Why, why, why is that? Just because it was it's easier to be outside it, it than be there? It was easier to, than, yeah. And and it was not, you didn't have the, it wasn't clean. Right. You know. It was cleaner to be on the street than in that place. Than in, in that place. So you mentioned addiction and homelessness, and you you said that you understood that if you quit your addiction, you have enough money to find yourself a place. What do you think is the leading cause? And I know there's a lot of causes, but what do you think is some of the causes of homelessness right now in Cuyahoga the, County? The largest barrier to finding a house right now, and mm-hmm. this is across the country, is affordable housing. Okay. You know, in the work that I do, a lot of times I have to tell a guy, well, you don't have enough money to afford this place. You know, and so what? one of the solutions that I work with or work toward is to put a guy in shared housing mm-hmm. to get a two or three bedroom house and then you split the rent. Mm-hmm. Okay, because when you look at what it costs for a one bedroom, you're paying less when you split the room, 100%. the rent with, with with two other guys. You right, know? it's a hard sell because the guys think, well, when I get out of here, I want to have my own. You still have your own, you know. You just have to share. You got to share because if you're on a fixed income, and that income is nine hundred fourteen dollars a month, it's very very hard to make everything work on nine fourteen if rent is seven hundred. And where's the nine fourteen come from? Uh, the government. Okay. That's Social Security. Okay. That's basic Social Security 914, which is what most of our guys get. And or they right now they don't have any income. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't. So when I work with when we work with but, that But Social Secur- Security is for people that are usually over a certain age, correct? No. Okay. No, it could be for people who have uh, suffered some type of drama. Okay. In their life, you know, mental health. Okay. Um physical health. You know, they they got disabilities. And um, for people who have been incarcerated for over a long period of time, when they come out, it's considered that they have a disability because they have to readjust to the outside world so they can get Social Security, you know. And But it's $9, $914. Mm-hmm. And... What would you do with nine hundred and fourteen dollars? Well, I'm just I'm just wondering if it's you said that there's not enough affordable housing. Um, what what is affordable housing, and is is it just that the social security is not enough to even? Well, I'm not going to address social security being enough because um, it's better than zero. Okay, it's definitely not enough, and it should be raised. But this idea that People, everybody, and anybody can afford seven hundred dollars a month for rent is not feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, that would leave me two hundred fourteen dollars. I still have to pay the utilities. Mm-hmm. I still need a bus pass, mm-hmm. and I still need you know clothes, hygiene stuff. Maybe at fourteen, at nine fourteen, I can get food stamps. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, and then um, so that will cover the food. But when you look at it, $214 for the month is really, really tight. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's almost impossible because I what we didn't address furniture. Mm-hmm. We didn't address any of those things that we take for granted. Right. You know, I take for granted that I go home, watch TV, mm-hmm. and sit on the couch or lay on the rug on the floor. Right. You know. Right. And at 914, those things become a wish. Now, again, I'm going to ask this question again, but um, I want to understand where does homelessness 
come from? Is it addiction? Is it different aspects of trauma? Is it uh, self-made or societal-made? Is it all of the above? And where do you where do you see those different aspects coming for it? Now, I'm not looking to for a way to blame the the victims, I, but I am looking for a way to understand how this is created. It's all of the above. Okay, um, we don't have adequate mental health facilities that come with wraparound services that would include housing mm-hmm. um, over a long-term period until a person gets is stable enough or deemed not stable enough and should be moved to a different facility that is long-term. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Uh, we, if we have it, it's minimum. Um, we don't have enough job training to keep up with the changing jobs that are, are, are out there. And what I'm finding is the demographics, especially as far as age of the homeless population is constantly changing, which makes it harder to maintain focus on one group. Okay, um, at 2100, we've got a lot of p- people housed. What we're finding now is we have a growing number of geriatrics who are homeless Mm. and they come with a different set of problems and issues. Mm. We have a lot of um, young men who are uh, aging out of foster care Mm. and they come with a a separate set of, of issues also. And then in my capacity of working with families, their numbers in the homeless world are growing so we have separate programs to deal with these issues but those programs don't aren't always able to change and pivot fast enough or don't have enough money and resources to adequately combat what we're looking at what is the wraparound full services you would recommend and now I want to ask that from the from what you just said. There is probably a mental health component to some people. There's probably addiction um, component to some people. There is just bad luck for some people. There is domestic abuse for some people. There is bad situations that maybe put you put somebody in jail and then they come out with no place to live or no job uh, for some people. What? is the solution that can tie all of those together to make somebody not homeless because some of it and uh does come from though like you said about yourself it you were addicted to a substance it took you a while to break that addiction to also come to the realization that said hey i can make some money and and afford this place if i just gave up this one thing so that's a lot of self that you have to self uh, you know introspective learning and, and, and looking as well and understanding. So what, what what do you think would be the holistic solution to try to move people from 2100 or anywhere else into that apartment and into the place that you say you just take it, we, we take a, uh, take for granted, going home and hanging out on the carpet or just turn on the TV and watching TV tonight? Um, I think it starts with safe shelters. And it need to expand that to include um, counseling. You know, and counseling, 
while it sounds good and it sounds easy, it's not because you first have to earn the trust of that individual mm-hmm. so that they sit down and want to uh, engage with you. It's through that engagement that we change a person's mindset about how they feel about themselves mm-hmm. and the goals that they want. Um, we have to increase more of that in order to see an impact, a real impact. Mm-hmm. And then it goes all, it comes right back to affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Okay? So what's affordable housing? Let's take it off the 914. That's all I can say. If, if 914 is what we're basing it on, what is affordable housing? Mm-hmm. You know, they say you don't you want to spend less than fifty percent of your income on housing. That's almost impossible at nine fourteen. Do you think things are getting better or worse when it, in terms of homelessness and addiction in Cleveland and across America? Both. I think it's getting better because. It's, it's being addressed. Mm. And um, they're looking at f- for solutions. And um, I think it's worse because this fentanyl thing is so cheap for ho- for them to produce and so addictive that even though you know this might kill me, you're still going to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still going to use it. And that's the scary thing about that drug. The other thing is we need to uh, treat people who are addicted as as um, people who have a sickness, mm-hmm. you know, and we need facilities to help more facilities to address that. And then we don't put them back into the environment that they came from, which is very important. Many people relapse not because they want to. Right. It's because they went back to that same environment and same habits. Same habits. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like you said with the layers. Like it was just a habit to dress in the yeah. layers. Yeah. And so you go out and you put on the layers and you, you had to break that habit. I had to break that habit. You said fentanyl is cheap. Now, I think a lot of people that are going to be watching this have never had a an experience with fentanyl or honestly buying drugs as well, but you work at 2100. I would assume you had exposure to people who are buying and selling. What does fentanyl run? Heck if I know. Oh, okay. But I know it must be cheap because I'm a, I'm a person with no income and I'm getting blasted. Who's Where is it coming from? Hmm. You know, what are they just giving out samples? Sometimes I wonder because uh, I had a situation just yesterday were two people that I never thought were so high yesterday I was like what the heck is going on? and both of them have zero income hmm. where's so where's the, where's it coming from hmm. you know um we need to address we need better we need better ways of discovering you know how it's being distributed and then on the back end we need more um, facilities that can actually deal with fentanyl. I don't know what they do now for fentanyl um, addiction. You know, I know they have uh, um, play, uh, ways to combat heroin and um, alcoholism. You know, even marijuana. Mm-hmm. They can help help get you off of that. 
But this fentanyl thing, I'm telling you, it's crazy. You think that this is the worst drug to hit the streets of Cleveland? Uh, I mean, moment, if, yes. From somebody, they, yes. The, the crack epidemic. Do you think yes. this is worse than the crack epidemic? Uh, here's what makes it worse. Okay. Okay. It's not just black people using it. Hmm. If it was only, and I'm going to say this because it's, it can be proven out from the crack epidemic, which was mainly in the cities and lower income spots. Mm-hmm that it was prevalent. Mm-hmm. And we did not get the response from the government that we're getting now from for fentanyl. Hmm. You know, fentanyl is across the country, not in the cities alone, but in the suburbs. And when we have suburbanites coming home, finding their children dead, all of a sudden we have a, a big push to combat that particular drug. Uh, I love the fact that we have a, a push to combat that drug. I don't particularly like the fact that it took for it, it, t- it had to go to the suburbs in order to be addressed. Uh, that is a very popular, um, that's a very popular statement about the fentanyl epidemic is that nobody cared when it was cracked. But now they care for the reasons that you said. How does that make you feel? Angry. Well. Angry. Um, I, I understand it. I mean. Why, um, why do you understand? How, do, how can you understand that? Because there was, there were um, no, there was no big money behind stopping the cracking epidemic. There was the war on drugs, mm-hmm. which made the government look good. Mm. But there was really no big push to stop the drugs from coming into our neighborhoods. Mm. We lost a whole generation of men, women, and children to that one particular drug epidemic, okay? And um, it's gonna be a long time recovering from that. When we look at, and I think in many ways, you know, it's a war that is being perpetrated and led by foreign interests. Um, Americans love to get high. Mm-hmm. Let's just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. We love to have a good time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so when you, <laughs> when you can exploit that and become rich, why wouldn't you? Yep. And at the same time, you know, Everybody doesn't love Americans. And at the same time, knock us down a little bit. I can see, I can understand why it's happening. So I've, uh, just to piggyback off that a little bit, is I, I lived in China for about 15 years. And one of, uh, uh, you know, a very sore spot of Chinese history is the Opium Wars. Um, and what they did to the population of China, not only in the south, around uh, Canton, Guangzhou, and Hong Kong, and Xinjiang and around the southern area of China, but how it spread through the whole country, even getting to the capital, where the emperor himself, or emperors, were also addicted to opium at the time. I look at the streets of, say, San Fran, L.A., or whatever, where you see the going around social media, and, and I almost kind of try to juxtapose what I think China at that time would look like. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and the, I guess, national panic and um, disgust of the, of the Chinese government at the time or the emperor or, or would have uh, looking at the people and seeing what happened to their populace with this uh, with opium coming into the country. Um, and the conspiracy theory, and I don't know if it's conspiracy theory or not, but the conspiracy theory is that China knows damn well what this fentanyl is doing. And they don't care, but they're going to continue to, to manufacture it because they have a grudge and they have some revenge. And this is part of part of a plan. And I don't want to be over here talking about conspiracy theories, but you, you mentioned that there are foreign countries that understand what's happening. There's money to be made and they don't care. And maybe that's a reason. What do you think of that, that theory? Well, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean... We, we just, we just went all... Uh, I, I, got, I got to tell you, there was a line from one a song that... Um, during the during the crack epidemic, that you don't see the black man a black man flying a plane, the planes that brought the drugs in. Hmm. If it got busted, it was not a black pilot. Hmm. <laughs> and if you think about it, that's a profound statement. We don't. I wonder what song that is. Uh, I think it was. Uh, it'll come to me. All right, if it comes to you, we're gonna put it in the po- in the podcast. It'll we'll play come it. to me. I know I could see his face, but I can't think of the name. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of uh, understanding and how to stop things, let's take it back a little local before we go um, talk about aliens next and <laughs> conspiracy theories. Um, somebody's going to be listening to this, wondering how they can help, how they can get involved. What would you recommend to somebody? Two things. First one is to have a better understanding about homelessness and addiction within Cleveland. First thing is any of us can become homeless. Mm-hmm. My biggest fear is becoming homeless again. Mm. Um, I have a little savings, not a lot. I um, don't have a lot left over at the end of the paycheck, you know. But the life I have now is not something that I'm going to willingly give up. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that most people don't realize how easy it is. Uh, if you live in a, if you're a two-income family, what happens if one of the incomes disappear? You know, you could change your lifestyle, you could do this and do that, but then what happens if the other disappears too? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if, God forbid, there's a fire? Mm-hmm. You know. And your everything is is taken away or burnt up. Where will you go? Now people say I go live with my with my, with my relatives or this and that. Here's the, the the question I always ask kids when I do a presentation: If your cousin comes to live with you, and now you have to share your room, mm-hmm. and you get up, you get ready to go to school, and your cousin got your blouse on and has left the house, or and or you go to take a shower and all of your shampoo is gone. Mm-hmm. And or you go downstairs to eat your favorite cereal and, you're- <laughs> and the box is empty. Right. How long can that person stay there? Yeah. Uh, it's a viable question, you know. Yep. So uh, that's why we see uh, people unable to uh, continue to live with families. It puts a big strain. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you, you know, you may be asked to leave. And it probably hurts all the way around. Right. But that's the reality. The reality is a lot of our our clients are running from something. 
and whatever that running is, it, they end up on the street mm-hmm. looking for a way out. And um, that's the reality that we face right now. So back to my original question, uh, understanding that anybody could be homeless anytime, I, I think that's that's understood, I think. I, 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 actually, I don't know if it is. I don't know if anybody understands it. I don't it. think it is because that's why people sometimes look down on, on a person who's homeless. Oh, what's wrong with him? Why don't he get a job? I remember when I was in Beijing, and I, it was, I was about my second or third year there, and I had about uh, maybe about $3,000 in, 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 in my savings or whatever. And I was going to buy, going to get a new rental. I was moving from one place to another, and I wanted to get a new place because there were some cockroaches in my other place. So I went, went and looked at a place. Um, it was perfect, I thought. Um, so, said I was going to sign the lease. Got screwed over by the landlord and then had already gave up my other place and already didn't have that place. And so, again, I was essentially homeless for a while, and I had to call a friend in Beijing um, who lived two two hours by train outside the city, and I stayed there for probably around two or three months, you know, until um, I got a, a place and got myself back together. And so I, 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 under, I totally understand what you're saying is that things and situations happen that are out of your control sometimes that put you in a situation where you have to figure out where you're living. And it, in by the kindness of others, you'll have a place to live. And if you don't have the kindness of others, then you're homeless. You're homeless. Exactly. But how do you think that other people should understand this? Besides just saying, hey, understand that you should, you could be homeless. Is there anything that they can do? Do you think that they should volunteer? Yes. You can volunteer. Like I said, I work at 2100 Lakeside. Mm -hmm. We have a volunteer coordinator who's very, very good. Okay. We have groups come in. They bring food. They prepare food. They serve food. We have groups come in who um, help guys in the computer lab whether they're looking for employment or housing. We have groups that come in that are um, uh, medically medical professionals who help provide free on-site uh, medical care, um, which is a, a huge, huge benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these groups have one thing in common, that, in my belief. That is that they have empathy for their fellow man, mm. you know, they don't see a homeless person per se. They see a fellow man needing help. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to make this situation better, we all need to start thinking that, hey, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And what can I do to help? Um, we have a, a, a thing called Walker Mart. When a guy moves out, he can shop at the Walker Mart and get, a, a package that would help him get a start. The package includes uh, soap powder, um, bleach, cleaning supplies, uh, something as simple as a can opener. <laughs> we take for granted a can opener until we need to open a can without <laughs> one. <laughs> so, That's true. Though. It's very That's true. true. Some pots, some pans. I laugh at the pots and pans myself personally because I remember the first pot I used bent from the heat so i would have to take it kind of put some heavy on this side oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so that it lay down in, on the stove oh man you know and I, i'm looking this is the same pot we used that i used to have i said oh this is gonna be interesting mm-hmm. but it's yours mm-hmm. you know but it's yours <laughs> and when you say that 
Everybody laughs to say I'm crazy, except for the fact that I'm telling the truth. Right. And here's the deal. When you first go in there and you look around and this is yours, there's a feeling that you get that you never will ever be able to completely describe. Right. Um, the first day when I, I got my, I was clean, been clean. I was strong enough to have money in my pocket. Got me a nice apartment. Went in there. I just stood in there and I just looked around. Then I went and got in the shower and I stayed in the shower for about two hours. Don't and blame me. It came out and I was looking for something. I said, oh, I got to get, I ain't had to get dressed. Because <laughs> nobody was there but me. Right. And I tell this this experience to the guys. You know, um, you're going to go from a place of having all these other men to a place of yours. Okay. And how do we get there? We need landlords to come on board to help work with us to provide places that are safe and affordable for our families and single men and women here in the, in the Cleveland area. Mm -hmm. We need landlords to come on board to provide those same amenities to families, okay, and who are willing to work with us hand in hand because it ain't always going to be easy, okay? And if something happens, give us a call before you decide to evict. Mm. Because I want you to understand that going in, it ain't going to be easy because uh, people have to learn to, once again, have ownership. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think where when you have ownership, you treat that item different than when it was just given to you for nothing. Mm -hmm. How can people reach out to you? Um, my name is Angelo Anderson. You can reach out at 566 Zero zero four seven extension three four one. Um, we take donations of, um, and we're always looking for these items, guys. Air mattresses, <laughs> because I slept on the floor for about a month when I first moved. But uh, air mattresses is, is is a great thing, and we give out air mattresses, uh, full size or queen size air mattresses. We give those out. Uh, to guys because they, they're going in with nothing. Mm -hmm. We we also um, take donations of full-size sheets, um, towels, washcloths, cleaning supplies. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, personal hygiene items are always welcome and always needed. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to sit down and write out a $10,000 check. Mm -hmm. You can sit down and talk and listen and change a person's life and how they feel about themselves. Because a lot of times they feel like they're invisible and stepped on. And when somebody takes the time to say, hi, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? You okay? It makes a big difference. I want to emphasize um, what you said about like just the basic necessities before we go. Um, I volunteered uh, for a shelter a, a couple years back for the winter. And um, one of the biggest donations when I even think of it because, you know, we're so used to having your stuff with you is socks, underwear. Like if you're don't have a place to keep all your dirty laundry and you have to carry it around or you don't you just got you throw it away. You throw it away. 
And so how are you going to get clean clothes if there's not a place to wash it? And mm-hmm. you're not going to use the little bit of money you have to wash your underwear. So you're just going to either throw it away, don't use them, just or keep reusing it or washing it. And it's, it's overlooked. And I think that... And so anyway, what, what you're saying is like the basic necessities of people, you know, just have just have to go through like, what do you need every day to be a presentable, go out there, get a job, have dignity, and yeah, donate those things. Donate those things. And then come on down. Uh, we'll be glad to give you a walkthrough at the men's shelter so that you get a better understanding of what we do, why we do it, and why some of the people who are homeless are homeless. Angelo, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M.com. That's M-Demer at Kydem.com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week. <laughs>